You are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. And finally, spoiler alert. No matter when this film was released, there's a good possibility I will be revealing spoilers about the plot or even possibly the ending. So just be warned. Passenger 57, which came out in 1992. It was directed by Kevin Hooks. It stars Wesley Snipes, Bruce Payne, Alex Datcher, Tom Sizemore, Bruce Greenwood, Robert Hooks, Mark McCauley, Ernie Lively, and Elizabeth Hurley. The genre would be Die Hard on a Passenger Plane. They finally captured the world's most dangerous hijacker. Now, they're bringing him back for trial on a plane. Notify my people. They'll know what to do. That was their first mistake. Once again, Charles Rain is in control. And how would you like your sirloin, sir? Bloody. But there's just one thing he didn't count on. 56. Wesley Snipes. No, 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 this is not happening. You, back to your seat. His name's John Cutter, he's airline security. Tell me you're good at this. I'm the best. Wesley Snipes. You need help? No. He's all mine. Passenger 57. A little ways back, I remember showing this to my 15-year-old daughter for the first time, and she doesn't usually enjoy action movies, but she quite enjoyed this, probably mainly because of the charms of its star, including his brightly colored outfits, and its short length. This film is literally 85 minutes long, including credits, and it's among my favorites from the endless parade of, quote, Die Hard on a Blank Joints released throughout the 90s, all films released in the wake of Die Hard. Of course, none of these other diehard clones had Wesley, and this was Wesley at his peak. Cutter! You! Back to your seat. Now! Oh, please! I don't want to die! Please don't shoot me! I don't want to die! I said! Do you see? Father, why did heaven? Oh, they're taking over the plane! Sweet Jesus! They're taking over the plane! His character is given the bare minimum of setup, and yet we're drawn to him. He just has charm and charisma to spare. He really makes the most of a bare-bones screenplay. The story takes place mostly on a passenger plane, and beyond that, you have most of the typical elements that you would expect from this genre, including the remote sidekick. Look, Ramsey wants me to hire the best person available to head up the counterterrorism unit. That person happens to be you. I don't want that responsibility. Yeah, well, I don't want to be so good looking, but I got to deal with the hand that's dealt me, right? He's named Sly and is played by a younger, but no less slicker, Tom Sizemore, three years before he would go looking for both the action and the juice in Heat. You also cannot have a diehard-like movie without a bumbling law enforcement officer on the ground who just makes the whole situation worse. Oh, and bonus, in this particular movie, he's also a clownish racist, no less. He's probably the weakest character in the movie, though is effectively played by the late character actor Ernie Lively in kind of a thankless role. Chief, look, we caught him out by the plane. He tried to attack us. If I tried to attack you, I wouldn't be the one standing here bleeding. Just settle down now, son. South's changed a great deal, but we still don't allow strangers to attack our police. You mind telling me what it was you were doing out there in that airfield? My name is John Cutter. I'm the head of security for Atlantic International. I was a passenger on the plane before it was hijacked. Uh, head of security. Ain't that a pickle? 
And of course, you need a love interest who can also hold her own with the hero. Stepping into that role quite nicely is Alex Datcher as Marty, the lead flight attendant on the hijacked plane. Why are you keeping us here? What do you want? For God's sake, let us go. It's all right. It's all right. Don't give them a reason to hurt you. That's exactly what they want. Just try and remain calm. There we go. Everything's going to be all right. The most importantly, you need a Euro trash arch villain. And halfway through the film, you have the obligatory remote exchange between the hero and the villain via walkie-talkie or phone, a trend which really did start with Die Hard as well. This time, of course, you have Wesley Snipes' John Cutter, perfect action hero name, by the way, verbally sparring with Bruce Payne, who's basically playing a poor man's Hans Gruber as Charles Rain, who we are told repeatedly early on is not insane. For a few minutes, both characters exchange nothing but quips, but Snipes is just having so much fun dishing out the macho silliness, you just cannot help but fist pump when he delivers that trailer line. Charlie, you ever play roulette? On occasion. Well, let me give you a word of advice. Always bet on black. And as for Bruce Payne playing Charles Rain, who is not insane, as we've told, I'm not sure what he's going for with this character, but I just find half of his line deliveries hysterical. Something about the over-enunciated manner with which he says, we're both killers, I know the breed. It just kills me, whether it's intentional or not. I want him off the plane, Rain. We share the same hunger. We're both killers. I know the breed, Cutter. Now I'm sick of your shit. You need the passengers. I want the plane. Put me back on board and the passengers will be released. Yeah, right. I'm supposed to trust you. Trust your instincts. My instincts are to wax your ass all over this floor. Those are your emotions acting without the benefit of intellect. Now... Passengers' lives are in your hands. Don't fail them. Regardless, he provides a solid foil for Wesley Snipes in what would end up being a very solid action movie from a bygone era. And now that brings us to the categories. The first category would be the best needle drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film. The opening credits for this movie are a nice mood setter for the rest of the film kind of a scaled-down version of the type of opening credits montage that you would see for a James Bond film, and that we see a stream of X-ray images of various items floating over the screen with black in the background. And over this elegant intro, we hear the smooth jazz fusion stylings of modern jazz legend Stanley Clark, who also composed the score for the film. And I remember my daughter, aghast, watching this going, what kind of music is this? Yeah, because this really dates the movie, and not even by decades. Basically because this particular type of easy listening jazz music had its genuine commercial peak during a roughly six or seven year period between 1985 and 1992. There were several radio stations devoted to this kind of music, which was officially called in a lot of cases adult contemporary. And while Clark was likely one of the best in this genre, it was actually the multi-platinum selling artist Kenny G who really popularized it for several years. Remember him? Well, Kenny G was fine, but he's no Stanley Clark. Now, Clark has been doing this for decades, and his most prominent instrument has always been the bass guitar. You could always just count on him to add a little taste of funk, a little more flavor, thanks to his acumen as a bassist, which he does here with a track that is cleverly titled Passenger 57, main titles. Hey, it's accurate.
The next category would be wasted talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. I'm going to go in a bit of a different direction this time around. And this is a first for this category, as I'm actually going to choose the director of this film, Mr. Kevin Hooks. Now, I'm not saying that he didn't do a good job, nor that this film was a waste for him or his talents. But looking at this guy's IMDb, I just feel as though he deserves a special shout out because even though I dig this film quite a bit, it barely scratches the surface of what this guy has accomplished with a directing career now going back 40 years. Seriously, this guy has to have one of the most extensive directing careers in the history of television. Yeah, that's right. He's only directed a few feature films. This one and a couple of other action movies during the 1990s, one starring Patrick Swayze and the other one starring Lawrence Fishburne. It's clear watching this that Kevin Hooks directs action pretty well. The film is well-paced. All of the action sequences are shot cleanly with a good sense of geography. The violence is clearly R-rated, but never over the top. And of course, he makes very good use of one of the better action stars of the 1990s. Though honestly, until delving into his career for this review, I just did not realize how much he ended up bringing those same directing action chops to TV as well in the decades following this movie's release. Kevin Hooks would end up directing and sometimes even producing several of the best action-oriented shows on TV in the early 2000s, including 24, Alias, Lost, and Prison Break, which he also produced. And just for context, the first decade of the 21st century was quite a unique time for mass entertainment. It was a time when serialized television began to approach the production quality and scope of big studio movies, and Hooks was a key part of that movement. And besides action, wow. This guy has had a hand in directing virtually every notable TV drama of the past 40 years. Hell, just pick a decade, and you will find several major shows helmed by this gentleman. 1980s, Fame, 21 Jump Street, St. Elsewhere, The, 1990s, ER, Doogie Howser, Homicide, NYPD Blue, The X-Files, 2000s, Monk, Supernatural, Cold Case, Without a Trace, Bones, and now let's even go to this past decade, the 2010s. The Mentalist, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., The Good Wife, The Punisher, Castle, and so on. Kevin Hooks has just been a prolific workhorse, and I must tip my hat to him for all that he has contributed to mass entertainment during my lifetime. The next category is the trailer moment. This is the scener moment that best describes this movie. Of course, there's a super obvious choice for this category, which would be the Always Been on Black moment, which was featured so prominently in the trailers. But I'm actually going to veer in a different direction with the one action sequence in this film, which does not occur on that airplane. I know, crazy, but hear me out. We're about 50 minutes into the movie. Cutter is being wrongfully held in custody by those local bumpkin cops, while Charles Rain and his gang of terrorists are seeking a way to escape, roaming around a nearby country fair carnival right near where the plane is being fueled. They basically slipped out with several hostages. Our hero is trapped, while the bad guys are about to get away. All is lost. Or is it? Suddenly our hero gets the drop on two police officers who are moving him. He beats them up and then races out of the station, jumps on a police cycle, and hightails it to that nearby carnival. Paul's ass downstairs. And if he gets cute, shoot him. In the leg, he might be telling the truth. Nora, do me a favor, honey. Fix me up a cup of that special coffee or maybe a couple of buffering. Damn it! You're making a mistake! Shut up, boy! You ain't said shit I want to hear. Let's go.
what follows over the next 10 minutes is utterly ridiculous, but highly efficient entertainment as hero and villain basically play cat and mouse through a petting zoo, square dance, Ferris wheel, and merry-go-round. Yeah, talk about making good use of your locations and with top flight stunt work to boot. Just a fun sequence. The final category is the MVP, the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. Bottom line, this movie simply does not work without Snipes. It's the definition of a star vehicle, as this type of movie was all the rage in the early 90s. Relatively low-budget genre films, all built around the appeal of one star with enough physical acumen and or on-screen charisma to draw a decent-sized audience. There were the A-listers like Arnold, Sly, Bruce... There was the B-team, which included Van Damme, Seagal, Dolph. And of course, there were all the rest who could land at least one star vehicle and were trying to roundhouse kick their way up the ranks beyond that. Guys like Jeff Speakman, Brian Bosworth, and Brandon Lee, whose career was sadly cut short due to tragic circumstances. And we're not even including overseas, where guys like Chow Yun-Fat and Jackie Chan were truly making their mark before coming stateside. Amidst all of this jockeying, Wesley Snipes was starting to carve out a solid action run for himself, which would last through the 90s, including Drop Zone, Demolition Man, U.S. Marshals, the quite underrated murder at 1600, and of course, what would be his defining role, Blade. But Passenger 57 was where it started, his first genuine solo starring vehicle. And he really pulls it off. Overall, the material here is pretty thin, but he still finds moments to be funny, to show vulnerability, and of course, to kick ass. I mean, just think of that previously mentioned carnival sequence. A bigger action star at the time, like Sly, would likely just try to play down to it for cheap laughs. Whereas a Van Damme would go overboard trying to show off his physical prowess, doing his signature splits everywhere he could. And in both cases, the sequence would just feel clunky. But Snipes knows how to play it just right. He was always a more natural actor than most other action heroes. As a result, you would buy him just as much slowly stalking a villain through a crowded festival tent as you would watching him evade another villain by adeptly climbing alongside the side of a Ferris wheel. For literally carrying this film on his broad shoulders, Wesley Snipes is the MVP. Now look, that man upstairs is one of the most dangerous terrorists in the world. He has killed two people, he will kill everybody else on this fucking plane if I don't figure out a way to bring him down. Look, I need your help. Please. Tell me you're good at this. I'm the best. My rating for Passenger 57 would be three and a half stars out of five. 30 years later, this just remains a breezy, frothy rewatch for me. Among the many diehard clones from this era, it's not quite at the elite level of speed, which is right at the top, but it's probably second tier, just above sudden death, which happens to also be my favorite movie starring Van Damme. And if you're looking to watch Passenger 57, it's currently streaming on Showtime. And that ends another avionic review. Special shout out to my lovely wife, Marlene Gershon, for producing this podcast and to my lovely daughter, Ella Gershon, for assisting in the editing. Please like, subscribe and share the Living for the Cinema podcast and follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Living for the Cinema.